0: And I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and author of Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and cynthiatherlow.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So, pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, we are so honored to be sponsored in part today by NutriSense. You guys hear us talk about continuous glucose monitors, aka CGMs, all the time on this show. And in particular, we love NutriSense, and here is why. NutriSense not only provides a 24-7 moving picture of your glucose values, they also offer a unique opportunity for self-discovery. So imagine this, you have a meal, and then you notice a spike in your glucose levels. So you think, hmm, that didn't go well, but here's the magic. Tomorrow, you can make a simple change. You can swap whatever you were eating for something else, Now you have real-time data to evaluate the impact. Maybe instead of that fruit, you have some vegetables. Maybe instead of that oatmeal, you have some yogurt. Maybe instead of that steak, you have some fruit. The continuous feedback loop that you can get with a Nutrisense CGM empowers you to make quick, informed iterations with your meals. Maybe the change results in a completely normal glucose level, or maybe it's still a little bit high, but significantly better. Armed with this knowledge, you can refine your choices further, rapidly steering your glucose values back to the normal range. Without a continuous glucose monitor, honestly, you're just guessing and assuming that what you're doing is working. And when you go test your blood sugar levels at the doctor, that's just a snapshot of that one moment in time. It's not telling you what actually was happening throughout the day all the time. What makes Nutrisense truly transformative is its ability to create lasting habits and intrinsic motivation. So, So instead of relying on generic advice from professionals or online sources or us, you have personalized real time data from your own body. When you see the direct impact of your choices, it will resonate on a whole new level. This newfound awareness becomes the driving force, making it easier than ever to stay motivated and committed to your health journey. I promise you, friends, it's like Opening your eyes to the secret to lasting change because it gives you this empowering knowledge that you just didn't have before. So, if you're looking to take charge of your health, gain real insights into your body, and make sustainable positive changes, Nutrisense is your ultimate partner. Join them and us on this journey of discovery and unlock your full health potential. Get started today at nutrisense.com if podcast and receive a thirty dollars discount off of your first month, which includes two CGM sensors, free shipping and professional nutritionist support. That's NutriSense.com slash IF podcast for a $30 discount off your first month with two CGM sensors, free shipping and professional nutritionist support which by the way, I get a lot of feedback on just how helpful that nutritionist support is. It's so easy. You can talk to them in real time in the app, and they can really help you make sense of all the data that you receive from your continuous glucose monitor. Nutrisense.com slash ifpodcast. And I am just so grateful to Nutrisense for helping support today's show.
1: New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% 20 off their first order, beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 301 of the Intermittent
0: Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Cynthia Thurlow. Hi, Melanie. How are you today, Cynthia?
2: I'm doing well, you know, still starving off a little bit of jet lag, but but doing good. I'm just excited to decompress over the next two weeks. How about you?
0: I'm doing well. So we're recording this a little bit in advance, but when this comes out, it will be near the end of January. But I'm really excited about the new year in 2023. I feel like there's a lot of exciting things and potential. So, oh, this is an interesting random question before we jump in. I was talking with a friend, actually with John Levy the other day. And I don't remember what brought this up, but we were talking about the concept of when you have projects that you're doing and how do you feel after completion? Like when you accomplish a goal or a project or something you've been doing, do you have like a feeling of sadness or a feeling of like now what or a feeling of what next or like what is that experience like for you? I don't really get that experience. Like when I complete something, I'm just really excited and like ready for the next thing. I don't ever really feel like, oh, that's sad or what do I do now? Like, I'm always just like excited to do the next thing. How about you? If you have like a, a project or something?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think about a lot of like business travel I've had purposefully for different events. I, I'm always so grateful for the opportunities that for me, I, I'm always like, yeah, that was awesome. What's next? You know, I'm, I'm happy and grateful, but I'm always looking forward and not looking behind. So I don't get disappointed. Even when things, like as an example, I did a business trip up to Chicago in November for an event with a colleague of mine, and the event wasn't at all what we expected it to be, but I just said, listen, this just validates what we want. This just further provides clarity about what direction to take our businesses in. So, from my perspective, I'm always looking forward, I'm always viewing things from a, a very positive lens, and being very grateful, because I acknowledge that we have opportunities that not everyone else has, so... I would say that the glass is always half full.
0: Yeah, same. And I I also feel like I'm the same, like I'm looking forward, not backward, but also things really last with me. Like I still feel really grateful for so many things that happened so long ago. So I don't think they lose their allure. And I think also, I was also reading a book last night because I'm just thinking about like a positive mindset and all of that. It's kind of like a catch 22, but apparently if you, don't naturally have a positive mindset, you can rewire your brain to become more positive. But the catch is that you have to want to do that. So it's like if you're stuck in a negative mindset, I think it would be hard to, you know, if you're like a pessimist, that's what it was about. It was about optimists and pessimists. And could pessimists become optimists? And they can, but they have to want to. So I don't know what that experience is like in their head. If they're naturally a pessimist, they might not want to become an optimist. I don't know.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've got a couple entrepreneur friends or just people in my life that are like you you know, the sky is always falling. It's, you know, they always view things from a pessimistic lens and it's hard for me to understand, you know, coming from a, a place of negativity when something really good has happened. And so I agree with you that it's very likely that they can go from being pessimist to being optimist, but it requires a lot of inner work. And I think for many people, they're just not in a position where they can per se do that, but it's something that they could certainly invest in over time to, you know, transition to a more heartfelt, grateful perspective, as opposed to one that's always looking at the negatives. And, and it's not to suggest all of us don't have like a bad day or a bad mood, or you're just having a, you know, crummy moment, but the optimist is always going to figure a way out. You know, they're not going to stay in that Kind of fixed mindset. So true.
0: Sort of relates. We are continuing our ask me anything episode from episode 300, our celebratory episode, because we got so many incredible, amazing questions and they're just fun, but they also relate to health and wellness. So we're just going to keep on answering these until we get through all of the ones that we got. So I'll start with one by popular request from Cynthia because she wanted to answer this and I do too. So actually there's three and they're all sort of related to a similar topic. So we can do all of them. So first one, Teresa
2: wants to know what is your celebrity crush and your go-to movie? <laughs> I have a thing for Charlie Hunnam. Do you know him? Who is that? Claim to fame is sons of anarchy. And he's not even necessarily in that show, like the greatest actor, but there's just something about him physically that I find so attractive he was in the most recent rendition of king arthur he's british he's blonde and he's hot so i'll just i'll just leave that there he's my get out of jail card not that i'll ever meet him but like he's just a very attractive human being i don't think i have a favorite movie i think i have groups of movies that i've enjoyed throughout my lifetime and this probably makes me sound like I think I've always been more of a book person than a movie person. And my cousin, I have a cousin who went to film school at USC where Melanie went for undergrad. He'd be so disappointed to hear me say that. But I think I'm kind of like old school in terms of like 80s, you know, a lot of the Steven Spielberg movies and George Lucas movies. You know, I love like retrospectively thinking about Indiana Jones movies. I mean, things that my kids can watch. I don't have to worry about, you know, something obscure popping up that I then have to explain to them. But I would say, you know, trilogies, you know, things like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. I love like the Harry Potter series we've watched multiple times. We've read all the books, but things that I can really lean into and just enjoy and savor well-written characters. How about you? Celebrity Crashes, Johnny Depp. Oh, how
0: funny. (laughs) I love Johnny Depp. So I was very much invested in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. That was like the most intense real life TV show. Like I was literally just like watching the court cases like day after day. The court trial. Go-to movie. It's one that you mentioned. Lord of the Rings is my favorite. Do you have a
2: go-to Christmas movie? Oh, I love... Why am I forgetting the name of it? The one that has Hugh... Love Actually. Love Actually is a favorite... And then what's the movie where – I'm terrible with names, Melanie. This is like a pathologic problem. I'm thinking of the couples that kind of switch places, so –
0: Oh, yes. at The Holiday. Thank you.
2: I would say those are like happy kind of holiday movies that we watch every year. But I love Home Alone because my youngest is kind of exactly like Macaulay Culkin was at that age. And it, it's just – it's he would be that child. And I would say those are probably – you know, like the Heat Miser, Cold Miser. So like the old animated. That's my favorite out of all the animated ones. I love that one. (laughs) Yeah. And my husband was watching it the other night with our, our kids and, you know, texted me. And I was like, here I am in LA in my hotel room. You know, eating like rim service, and my kids and my husband are home doing something that's, you know, holiday related. So, those are probably my favorites. How about you?
0: I love that Heat Miser, Cold Miser one. So, I think I've mentioned it on the show before, but Borrowed Hearts. It's like my favorite made for TV Christmas movie ever. I'm obsessed with it. It is the best. It has the main guy from, I think, Grey's Anatomy. It's like 1997, and I've been watching it for a long time. And then one other, oh, I love the holiday as well. And I actually watched this past Christmas for the first time. I think I probably had seen parts of it when I was little, but they made the sequel to A Christmas Story. So I wanted to watch the original. It's kind of dark. I'm glad I didn't watch that growing up. It's kind of like,
2: I don't think that would have made me feel very good. There's an amazing rendition done at Ford's theater every year. And so the last year we saw it was 2018. Cause then of course it was like 2019 and then the pandemic, but it's so well done, but I agree with you. It can be dark depending on the director and the way that it's written. And I think the older I get, the less I like dark movies. Like, I used to love being creeped out when I was little. I loved scary movies. And now I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't really like that. It feels very adulty, if that makes sense. Like, I was watching it, and I was like, this doesn't make me feel
0: happy and Christmassy. Like, I'm glad I wasn't watching this growing up. So the other quick celebrity-related ones, Danielle wants to know... If they were to make a movie about you, who would you want to play you? Or if you were to star in a movie, who would you want
2: to act with? Okay, so obviously I would be the person advocating for someone to play me because I'm not a thespian. I I would not be in a position to be acting as someone else. You know, it's funny. Over the years, I've had different people tell me I look like different people. I've heard Jennifer Aniston. I've heard... Scarlett Johansson, which I didn't really see. Most recently, do you know Vera Famiglia?
0: I don't think so.
2: Yeah, she's she's got like a very unique look, but that was, I was told at this dinner that I went to at John's house, this one was like, yeah, you look like an older version of her. And I was like, you realize she's in her 40s, right? And she was like, oh, she is? Just an FYI, don't tell women that are older that they look like an older version of someone. <laughs> it's just, just don't. Women in age, just don't. Yeah, just don't. Just don't even go there. And I'm a very like confident, secure woman, but I was just like, that's not a compliment lady. So those would probably be the people I've heard I resemble, but I see aspects of each one of them. Like, I love Jennifer Aniston's hair. I have full lips like Scarlett." Vera, I probably look more like than than the other two. How about you? I know you would want to just play someone because you are a thespian.
0: Well, yeah. So I would want to play myself for sure. That is <laughs> not even a question. But if I were to star in a movie with somebody, I'm obsessed with Blake Lively and Kieran Knightley.
2: She's so cute.
0: And Blake Lively is besties with Taylor Swift. So then maybe I could become friends with Taylor too. Like it would just be great. <laughs> be amazing but those are the two actresses i will watch any movie they're in i think i have girl crushes on them i just like looking at them i just think they're so beautiful
2: yeah blake to me just seems like a nice down-to-earth human being and ryan reynolds who she's married to he's so cute when he talks about her
0: oh i know they seem very like in love like they seem very and they've been together for a long time now
2: long time this is her fourth pregnancy so yeah definitely a long time
0: there's usually Easter eggs and Taylor Swift songs about the names of Blake's children, which is lovely, which brings us to our next question. Easy answer for me, but Nicole wants to know name one celebrity or person of notoriety, living or dead with whom you'd like to share a meal and conversation. Taylor Swift. How
2: about you? <laughs> I thought about this. I gave this some thought, Nelson Mandela, because I don't know if I've ever told you this, but when I went to South Africa for the first time, he was still alive and we were supposed to go to Robbins Island, which is where he was imprisoned. And then the weather was bad, so we couldn't actually go. It didn't look bad on our end where we were in Cape Town, but we were informed that it was not good weather. And so I, I felt such a connection to South Africa when I was there. Subsequent to that, I read his autobiography and I thought, wow, I mean, this is someone that I'd love to meet. Of course, now he's deceased. That would not even be possible, but that's who kind of popped up for me.
0: Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get free manuka honey. And if you know what that means, then you know what that means. And if you don't know what that means, I'm about to tell you what that means. So back in the darkest days of my digestive issues and chronic fatigue and all the things, I was researching anything and everything to try and get my health back. And that's when I first came across the concept of manuka honey. So I knew honey was supposed to have health benefits, but there was something special about manuka honey in particular. It is a special type of honey only found in the remote and magical forests of New Zealand. The bees actually feed on the highly active nectar of the Manuka tea tree, and they make a super honey that is honestly unlike anything you have ever seen or tasted before. So, Manuka honey is a super honey because of its unique antioxidant and prebiotic properties. So, honey in general has those properties. Honey also has hydrogen peroxide activity, which can have a beneficial effect on your gut and health. But, Manuka honey in particular, has a different natural antibacterial compound called MGO that only comes from the nectar of this Manuka tea tree. They actually measure it. I think it's really funny. They call it non-peroxide activity. So the nutrients in Manuka honey can help support optimal immune and digestive health. I personally found that when I was using Manuka honey, it had an incredible effect on my gut. And I became really obsessed with finding the best of the best, Because there is a lot of controversy out there about Manuka Honey, and it can be difficult to make sure that you're getting a certified, verified source that is actually the stuff that you want. That's why I was so, so thrilled when Manucora reached out to me. They make a Manuka Honey, and what I'm really excited about is they have all of the transparency that I'm looking for. When I did the onboarding call with the brand, I was so impressed with their story, their authenticity, their knowledge, and their mission with Manuka Honey. Their honey can be traced back to a single origin through a unique QR authenticity platform. I love that. The honey is free from environmental toxins, free of glyphosate residue, non-GMO, gluten-free, it's raw, and like I said, 100% traceable. They're also a certified B Corp. And something super important to me, they really take care of their bees. So, the beekeepers actually manage the hive numbers to ensure that the bees have access to diverse pollen sources and plenty of nectar to feed on to avoid any risk of overstocking the bees. They're never fed refined sugar. There's no excessive hive transportation. The hives don't need to be shifted around for pollination practices. They also help support local communities. Like I said, I've been a fan of Manuka honey for so long, so it's really exciting to partner with this company. Plus, the honey tastes delicious. You can incorporate manicora into your food choices, into your Diet, or you can use it as a supplement, taking some of it daily to help support your immunity, your GI health, and so much more. Manucor's Super Honey is available in a range of easy-to-use formats, including jars, squeeze bottles, and 100% completely compostable packets. Friends, that is so hard to find. So you can eat it straight or add it to your favorite food or beverage. If you head to manukora.com slash ifpodcast, you'll automatically get a free pack of honey sticks with your order. That is a $15 value. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A.com slash ifpodcast to get a free pack of honey sticks with your order friends. It's called honey with superpowers for good reason. So get on it and try this delicious, creamy caramel honey, and you won't look back with manukora. That's manucora.com slash podcast for free Manuka honey sticks. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. We'll do something health related now. Brittany wants to know, calcium. I would love to hear how you both feel about supplementing versus not.
2: I'm not a fan of supplementing. I don't think it's generally necessary. And you get more calcium from green leafy vegetables than you do from dairy. That's a byproduct of the dairy industry. And I just in cardiology, I just saw a lot of people that were over supplementing with calcium and actually had plaquing in their arteries. Let me be clear. This does not mean this is going to happen to you. I'm just telling you in the context of working with cardiology patients, many of whom already had established disease, we started you know, becoming a little bit more concerned about oversupplementation of calcium. And if you're looking at calcium from the perspective of you know, increasing tensile strength of your bones and bone health, lift weights, eat enough protein, get some good sleep. And if you need it, take HRT. That would be my little plug.
0: I'm currently reading, we, we talked about this. Are you familiar with Morley Robbins or have you interviewed him or read his book? I have not. So he wrote the root cause protocol. He's so he basically makes the case that the majority of our health issues are from not enough bioavailable copper, iron overload, even if you're anemic, and this enzyme called ceruloplasmum, which like nobody's talking about. It's kind of mind blowing information in there. And he's very extreme with it. I'm very excited to interview him and ask him a lot of questions. I just finished reading the whole section on calcium and he is not a fan. And so I will say that leading up to it before reading that I was very much on the fence about calcium supplementation. I think it's a very delicate balance and it's needed to be in the correct ratios with magnesium and then on top of that the studies are not so favorable. And I haven't done like a deep deep dive overview, but I know there are a lot of studies. The studies are conflicting as far as calcium supplementation and you know, does it have benefits? Is it neutral? Is it actually, does it have negative effects? So I've never felt comfortable supplementing it. He makes the case that unless it's in the correct ratios, which, and that's more from whole foods that you're pro, he makes the case you're going to cause more harm than good, rather, Kind of like what you were saying. He was pointing out the ratios and he like, he doesn't like dairy though, either, because he says the calcium magnesium ratio is so skewed. Like it's way more calcium than magnesium. Oh, magnesium. I should mention that. That's the other, the big, big mineral for him that he thinks we're all very deficient in and need more of. And it's really involved in iron regulation as well. So stay tuned when I interview him. It's going to be, it's going to be mind blowing.
2: It sounds really interesting. That's one of the things I like about you is how open-minded you are to entertain varying philosophies, perspectives, opinions on health and wellness related topics
0: that's what I love about you as well. Like, I think we're both very open-minded, you know? Like, I never feel like, like with you, I don't ever feel like you immediately shut down anything. You know, I think that's a really, really important to be open to different perspectives and thoughts.
2: Yeah, we should all be lifelong learners. Unfortunately, not everyone is. You know, there's some pretty significant cognitive dissonance that is not unique to medicine. I want to just put it out there and just, you know, I was taught from a young age. And this was reinforced in my medical training to question a lot and be open-minded.
0: Yeah. I love that. And actually that reminds me of two questions in our, our lineup. So I will ask both of them. So first one, Elaine, she wants to know, do you ever totally disagree with your interview guest and are any of the guests disagreeable with you?
2: I've been really fortunate that, yes, I have had guests that I don't 100% align with, and I think that's okay. It usually means that my team gets an uptick in emails like, why did this person talk more about, you know, only about plant-based as being the best protein option? Or why did the guests talk about this? And that's always interesting to navigate. I've never had anyone openly disagreeable on the podcast. I think that I, I do a really good job of vetting people that I I, I think that we're all aligned in terms of wanting to provide high quality information and wanting to do it authentically and with integrity. So I I have never had someone become belligerent or argumentative and that's so not aligned with my personality. I'm a recovering people pleaser. So for me, I have to kind of navigate those boundaries and I've only had, so for full disclosure, I've interviewed three people for the podcast and I have not put out their episodes and it's been for a variety of different reasons, but occasionally I will interview someone and and realize after we've interviewed, I've interviewed them, that it's really not a good fit. It would not serve the purpose of the podcast. So I, I would say that those individuals, although they're lovely human beings, I'm sure the message isn't aligned and it's so far out of alignment that it would have been problematic had I published it. How about you, Melanie? So... In general, and it's kind of like we were just talking about. I really do
0: believe in everybody I've brought on. I I really do think there's truth in things they're saying. It doesn't mean that I think everything they're saying is true, and I sometimes do disagree with them. But I do always think there's truth to be learned, or you know, something to be found there. Probably the like because using the phrase "totally disagree," I think the closest I've come to that has been with people very far on either side of the spectrum. You mentioned it either plant-based or on the flip side carnivore. So I've had some plant-based people where it was very much like this is the way and animal products are awful for you and awful for the environment. And I disagree with that. And then on the flip side, I've had carnivore people where it was like every plant is the devil and I disagree with that as well. So that would probably be that as far as any disagreeable with, with me, um, in general, same experience as Cynthia. Everybody's been so kind, so wonderful. I've had one experience where I sort of felt like the person didn't really want to be there. They had come in through a friend recommendation, which interestingly at the time, it was one of my really good friends connected me to this person. And at the time I was like, oh, this is great. Like, cause it's a personal introduction. You know, they're gonna want to be here more because it was through a friend. But then thinking back later, I was like, oh, that could go either way. It could be they're excited because it's a friend or it could be they're doing it as a favor for the friend. (laughs) So maybe they didn't want to be there so much. But I will say, stepping back, the episode was very valuable, amazing information. I'm so honored to have had it. very grateful for the interview. I just am not sure that that person exactly wanted to be there. Which relates to um, the next question, which was from Teresa, which is, what is the most embarrassing or awkward moment during an interview?
2: probably one of those three non-published podcasts where it was this person in particular went off the rails and didn't realize that the language they were using was very offensive and would have been some would have been offensive to listeners and I actually had my team listen to the podcast to confirm that I was not losing my mind and they agreed with me so unfortunately I can't share more than that but I, I would say that using language that is not appropriate in the context of pejorative statements is that vague it's vague but it paints a picture to protect people (laughs) i I think the one thing that I, i know we're very aligned on is that i will not publish an interview if it is not aligned with my mission and my mission is designed to inspire educate and empower women and it was none of the above. So I, I will just leave it at that. That if, if an interview does not meet my standards, I will not publish it.
0: I as well be very vague. But I had a guest on who, whenever I start off the show, before recording, I asked the guest how much time they have for the episode. And so this guest told me that he had basically ample time, like no time limit. And then we were recording and early into the episode, he made a comment about time and like running out of time, but it was kind of like offhanded. And I I wasn't sure exactly what he was saying. So I, I just ignored it. And then a little bit later we kept talking and then he he just interrupted me like mid sentence and we edited it out. So of course you can't hear it, but he just interrupted me and was like, I really have to go now or something. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, okay. The way it was presented was you know, that I was basically taking up his time, which I would never want to do. And and that's why I asked in the
2: very beginning, like, how much time do they have? I was mortified.
0: I was so mortified.
2: Well, but you didn't, I mean, Melanie, that's not a reflection of you. That's a reflection of him. Yeah. I mean, if someone said, like, if you were to say, like, Melanie, I have 40 minutes, you'd be like, cool, I can do 40 minutes. But if they give you the green light that they're not, they're not, you're not on like a timetable, then the expectation would be is that, you will finish when you finish.
0: And it wasn't far into the, so it wasn't like an hour in. It was it was like, I think the first comment was like 20 minutes in or something. And then the, the final comment was like half an hour in. So, and I've never, you know, so fun times.
2: Yeah, that's not fun.
0: Here's a fun question from Danielle. How many of the 50 states have you been to?
2: I counted 35. I have been to a lot of places.
0: If you went to all of them, where do you think would be the last one you would go to and why?
2: Now, let me be clear. I was born in South Carolina. So, I love the south. I, I think there are definitely states that aren't higher on the hierarchy and maybe a better question is what was I surprised by? Was there a state that I was really surprised by? I don't want to I don't want to sound like I'm pejorative about any one state over another, but I would say that Alaska, not because I don't want to go, but it's just the distance to get there in terms of the things we have to do to get there from the East Coast. So, Alaska, definitely want to see Alaska. And I'm just innately curious. Like, I'd love to go to the Dakotas. I've never been there. I love Montana. That was a, that was a surprise. I loved Utah, although I've not been to Idaho. So, I think now it's just, you know, strategically figuring out how to make my way to all the other states But I would say probably Alaska, but only because of the distance.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking if you hadn't been to Alaska, if that would be the one. I've only been to 16. It's mostly the one, like the Southern related ones, Northeast, and then like traveling out to California. I should get on that. Okay. (laughs) Eating and some eating and drinking related questions. So we got a lot of questions about what both of us eat. So for mine it was Holly wanted to know how do you cook your scallops and how many cucumbers and blueberries do you really eat in a day? Do you eat <laughs> Do you eat anything else other than the previous 3 mentioned? And then Mariah wanted to know curious how you consume your ginger and turmeric. Okay, so this is funny. I I'm always posting about my scallops, my cucumbers, my blueberries, especially because I go to Costco. You guys following on Instagram, you will know this. And I buy a lot of scallops and cucumbers and blueberries at one time. And I post about it. Every time I post about it, I get inundated with DMs about how do you cook these? So much to the point that I now have a two things. I have a saved auto-reply. Do you use the saved auto-replies, Cynthia? Where you start typing it and then it fills in the rest?
2: I need to. I don't.
0: Oh yeah, game changer. So, so all I have to type in. So if I get a question about this, all I type in is "sc" for scallop, and then it fills out my whole answer. Which the answer says like something about like "thank you so much." Please see the pinned highlight on my profile. So then, if people go to my profile. I have a pinned post highlight that. Says how I cook my scallops because I get this question so much. So, to answer the question, I and this will answer about the ginger and turmeric. I put these scallops in a Dutch and a La Crusette. Do you have La Crusette? I do. I love La Crusette so much. So, a small Dutch oven type situation, I put the scallops in there. I don't add any water or anything because when you cook it, it actually makes like a water soupy base, which sounds gross, but it's really good. And I add to that mushrooms chives and cilantro and then when it's done cooking i add to that ginger turmeric and lemon and it is delicious so do i eat anything else other than cucumbers blueberries and scallops yes so so i love the cucumbers because it's very hydrating and it adds a lot of fiber and a lot of bulk, which I love. And then I love having massive amounts of fruit because that's my carb source and I digest it well. And I do really well with blueberries and I used to eat pineapple. And then the thing I switch around a lot is the meat. And I find that being so simple like this, that I specifically crave different meats or types of fish besides the scallops every night. So I eat a ton of scallops and then I eat whatever meat or fish I'm craving, which will be Either chicken or steak or salmon, barramundi, tilapia. So I adjust accordingly. Oh, and she wanted to know how many. Cucumbers, I probably eat like 10 really, really big English cucumbers. And blueberries, I eat like, I don't know, two and a half pounds, maybe. So the question for Cynthia, Melissa says, hello. I want to know what Cynthia eats I know that Melanie eats scallops and cucumbers. I'm a 51-year-old female with 50 pounds to lose. My window is 3 to 9 p.m. Oh, and then she has another question.
2: So before I do that, Cynthia, what do you eat? A lot of meat and a lot of vegetables, you know, steak, bison. We don't eat a lot of fish because my kids don't love fish and fish is expensive. So my husband sometimes and I will just, you know, grill salmon steaks. We each, Actually, tonight we're having shrimp scampi as an example, But, you know, getting back to your original question, I think as a perimenopausal or menopausal female, you know, based on research, we have to hit these protein thresholds. That's really important. I eat a lot of eggs. I occasionally eat chicken. It's not my favorite protein. You know, I I tend to like leaner meats as opposed to fatty meats. So if you give me a filet versus a ribeye, I'm going to pick the filet. And I learned over the summer through a nutrigenomics testing that that's actually what my body thrives on is lean meat, not fatty meat. So getting back to your original question, I think that on a lot of different levels, my methodology is always, you know, 40 to 50 grams of protein in a meal and then non-starchy vegetables. So it could be, you know, like roasted cauliflower, it can be broccoli, it could be asparagus, mushrooms, salad. I ate a lot of salad while I was traveling just because it allowed me to get in some vegetables and I'm not anti-carb, but I tend to hover, you know, under 75 or under 50 grams of carbs most days. And on the days where I'm having higher carbohydrates, I may lean into blueberries. I may have like a just green banana, which is actually what I had today when I was breaking my fast along with a protein shake. Cause I'm just, it's as I'm coming back from being in LA, it's just been a busy, a busy day. And so, you know, it's always protein depending on whether or not you need added fats. I like salted macadamia nuts. I like avocado. I like coconut oil. I like avocado oil. I like butter, my tolerant ghee. I definitely try to mix up my proteins. I think that's important. And your other question, which she included that I'm 51 years old. I have 50 pounds to lose. My window is three to nine. How does a picky eater get in enough protein? If you look at the research, we have to eat more protein as perimenopausal menopausal females, especially as we're losing estrogen and your menstrual cycle is gone for 12 months, you know, when you're diagnosed with, or you're diagnosed, you're told that you're menopausal. So 51 is the average age in the United States. I think you have to open up your window to get enough protein in, unless you can get grams in, in that protein window. And so I just don't, I I find most women need a wider window than five or six hours. Now, Melanie is a really good example. She gets in a lot of protein in a fairly compressed feeding window, but that's probably not the average person. So I would really lean into the protein piece. I would experiment with different types of protein. I actually like bison more than I like beef. And during the pandemic, we got very creative with proteins. We tried ostrich. We've tried elk. We tried wild boar. Where do you get ostrich? There's a there's a farm in the Midwest. It's called Blackwing. I have no affiliation with them, but you can get you can definitely try some things there. We started with sausage because I was just like, let's just like ostrich wasn't something that was super appealing to me. I can tell you we've we've tried ostrich twice and it has been, it has not been a favorite protein, but like elk was good. Wild boar was good.
0: I love elk. Ooh.
2: Yeah. Elk was really good, but I really like bison. So I, I would encourage you to be saying you're picky is being pejorative. You can change that, right? So Understanding that protein is going to be very important for muscle protein synthesis, it's going to be very important for satiety, it's going to be very important for maintaining or building muscle. And as someone who has identified that you want to lose weight, protein is going to be your friend, so you really need to lean into it. So if you're sitting down for a meal, one egg is six grams of protein, you need to eat probably at least four, I mean, to really get enough of a protein boost and then probably be adding in something else as well. I just find that oftentimes I'm doing like a bison burger with two or three eggs and then my vegetables. I'm also currently obsessed with slaw, so shredded cabbage doing it different ways like a clean coleslaw or like a asian inspired slaw. I don't know what it is. I'm going through a cabbage phase, which is both good and bad because I just can't keep enough of it in my house. Hopefully that's helpful.
0: Was very helpful. Awesome. I knew you would have that one covered. Okay, so here's something else. Teresa wants to know, what is your toxic trait, as my students would say, or basically an area you know you need to grow in or some bad habit you need to work
2: on? I don't think I have a toxic trait. I would say that my area of focus will always be patience because my brain works really fast and I'm a very methodical, thoughtful person. I would say I sometimes struggle with being patient with other people (laughs) and sometimes being patient in traffic because I grew up in New Jersey. And some of that has kind of stayed in me, although I'm getting better now where I am. But I would say that's probably an area I have to constantly work on is being patient, being patient and being present. How about you, Melanie?
0: Yeah, I think for mine, so I think the thing I've made a Ton of improvement on is feeling guilty about everything. Like I literally will feel guilty about everything. And so I've worked with my therapist a lot on that. I think a lot of that has to do with how I was raised like Bible Belt Christian South and just like a guilt complex. And then I think also I, I mean, I I know I'm I'm very obsessive and (laughs) intense and I think I've made a lot of progress in that as well, as far as like feeling the need for control over my life. And so I think just finding that balance of dealing with my own intensity, because I
2: can be intense. I think half the battle is just acknowledging, you know, I'm like, okay, I need to work on this.
0: Oh yeah. hundred percent. Definitely like looking in the mirror. Laura wants to know, what is something that we would be surprised to learn about you?
2: Gosh, I mean... I think I'm pretty transparent. I would say that I think people make a lot of assumptions. And and I say this because this is feedback I've gotten over the years. People assume I grew up a certain way. People make assumptions that I've had it very easy in life and I have not had a very easy life. But I've done a lot of internal work. I continue to do a lot of internal work. I try to be as authentic and real as possible And I think people would be surprised to know that I grew up in a pretty unhappy household and with parents that were not very happy people. I had to navigate becoming very resilient in order to excel and do well, given the fact that I wasn't really given the foundation to be able to be a healthy, well-adjusted adult. And when I tell you I've been doing therapy since my 20s, I'm not kidding. And... I'm a fervent believer in like working on yourself, but I wouldn't be who I am if I had, if I had grown up in a different environment. So I always say that I'm grateful for the experiences that I had because it's made me like the strong, resilient person that I am. But it also means I have to constantly work on, you know, my own traumas that I've experienced. Again, I think that's why Gaber Mate's book and the book that Gabrielle, Gabby Bernstein wrote this year were particularly impactful for me because it's We're constantly working on our stuff. And I think that's what people would be surprised. People assume I grew up very privileged. People assume I grew up very affluent and I didn't. And so it made me that kind of scrappy individual that wasn't willing to let people tell me no. Like I was like, I'm going to figure this out. And so I've been able to navigate life pretty, pretty well, but with the support and love of good friends, specific family members, having lots of healthy boundaries, which I get better about every day.
0: That's interesting. My family growing up, at least from my perspective, I'm just overwhelmingly grateful. It was very supportive and loving and the one message we were always told was like that we could do whatever we wanted, like anything with, you know, as far as like career goes, like we could do anything, we could achieve any goal and my parents our parents would support us in that. So I'm just overwhelmingly grateful for that. So yeah, I have three things. One, I, for the longest time, I was terrified of phone calls up until college, like answering the phone. Have I told you this before? No. I left high school early before senior year. My mom was like, Melanie, you can't go to college if you can't answer the phone. Like, <laughs> there's just, I got major phone anxiety and like making phone calls. Like, oh my goodness. In high school, we had to solicit like ads for the newspaper, which required like calling people. It was, It was awful. And the the thing that cured me of it really quick, and I think I've shared this maybe on the podcast before, is my first internship was with Jerry Bruckheimer, who's like one of the biggest producers ever. He does the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and so many things. And they literally like stuck me on the front desk as like an intern and made me answer the phone for hours. And it was answering the phone for like really, really important people and like having this sheet of, you had to connect them to the right office and you could not connect them to the wrong office it was the most stressful experience of my life <laughs> and that cured me of my phone my phone fears there's nothing worse than that as far as the phone goes
2: yeah i can't even imagine like knowing you now i can't even imagine you having phone fears yeah i oh i know yeah especially now cuz now i'm like doing phone calls 24/7 with random people i remember
0: that when they when they set me on the they weren't supposed to do that like i was an intern but the the assistant had to leave. So she was like, can you just cover the desk? And like, here's the stuff. And like, I was like, what? And then like the HR woman came over and was like, why are you sitting here? I was like, I don't know. They just told me to answer the phones. (laughs) Yeah. That. And then I think also people, people think I'm an extrovert. I'm very much an introvert, like very much. I'm not shy, but going out is very draining to me.
2: Yeah. Well, that's why like being in LA and doing for podcasts. And I mean, I got back to my hotel room on Friday and just told my husband, I was like, I'm ordering room service. I'm packing my bag and I'm just going to watch something on my Netflix because I don't want to talk to anybody. (laughs) I'm just done. As grateful as I was for that experience. I'm like, I'm like a rubber band and the rubber band has been stretched out. So the rubber band now needs to like decompress. I have a fear of robots like big robots like transformers I
0: might have talked about this on the show as well so like transformers is really scary to me and like the concept of if the end of the world or like if the next you know political upheaval involves robot type machine like those like what what are they called like robots I don't know there are all these videos AI. AI yeah <sighs> that is like terrifying to me terrifying Even the nice ones, like even if it was like a really big robot and it was a nice one, like Bumblebee and Transformers, mm -mm. no, no, that (laughs) I would have a panic attack. Do you have any crazy fears?
2: Snakes. Like I'm, I'm an all boy mom. And so I had to get really comfortable with like bugs and we have a bearded dragon. We have two dogs. I, I mean, I have a very nature loving 15 year old and has been that way his whole life snakes. I'm I'm absolutely positively terrified of snakes. Have you ever had a bad experience with a snake? No, I don't know what it is. And it, and it's one of those things where like, as an example, when we were still living in Northern Virginia, right outside of our walkout basement with this non-poisonous snake, let me be clear. There are, there are plenty of poisonous snakes in Virginia, but this was not one of them. And I looked at it and I said to my husband, it's not going to move because it's clearly just eaten something. So it was like digesting. And I made my husband when he got home, I made him get rid of it, like to put it in the woods. I was like, I don't want it anywhere near the house. If, that, if I'd walked out the front door and saw that I probably would have like just been hysterical, which is not the way I normally am. I would say I have an unnatural fear of snakes. Beyond that, there's not a whole lot other than you know the, the normal fears that you get as a parent, like, I, I, you know, I have a ER trauma background from many years ago and I've seen a lot of, you know, horrific things that have happened. So in the back of my mind, the things that I don't allow myself to process because I don't want them, like I can talk openly about snakes, but the fear of anything ever happening, you know, significant to my boys, like that's, that's a fear that I have, but that's one that I, that is not one I'm concerned about. I'm not worried about that, but the snake thing. We have a lot of copperheads where we are in central Virginia. So I have to remind my kids that they see them like to just leave them alone because sometimes the baby copperheads are actually more poisonous because they have more concentrated venom. Even walking the dogs, we have to be conscientious of that. Like in times when they're, they've, they've bred and they have baby, it's out and just kind of like trying to explain to Liam, don't play with it. Don't touch it. Don't go near it. Go away from it. Like don't mess with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting about that? I'm just thinking about this because when we say snakes, I know you're saying yours is an a natural fear, but a lot of people are scared of snakes. And, but if we say snakes, your first thought, at least for me is like, oh yeah, obviously because they're scary. But if you think about it, like there's a lot of reptiles and why are only certain animals do they have this fear response? Like snakes, like most people aren't scared of lizards, but it could, we could just as easily live in a world where lizards are the scary
2: thing. Right. Well, and it's funny because, you know, Liam at, I think he was second or third grade, and it was the only thing he wanted for his birthday was was a reptile. And, you know, my husband and I had to talk about, like, said reptile options. And originally, he wanted a tortoise. And and when I started reading about them, and first of all, they live forever. And then they tend to carry a lot of zoological diseases. And so we, we kind of settled on the bearded dragon, the bearded dragon is quiet. It's totally mellow. He doesn't handle it enough anymore that he can take it out and let it run around. Thank God. But, you know, I had friends of mine that were like, I can't believe you let your kid get a reptile. And I said, well, first of all, he made like a whole, if you can, this won't surprise you, Melanie, but he made a whole presentation for why he needed this reptile. It's something I would do. Yeah, exactly. It was like, and I said, he had such good arguments about it. And so we've, we've had Kirby now for gosh, like six years and they live, they do live a long time, but he doesn't bother anybody. He's in his cage. He gets fed. He's quiet and he's not so big that he's scary. But I think I I would have to be honest and tell you that if I were in Florida and there was a, you know, the bigger lizards that are there. The monitor lizards, they're like the size of like alligators. Yeah. I mean, those, those are not pleasant. I'm drawing a, like a blank on what the bigger lizards are. Crap. Big lizard. The monitor ones are huge. It's a, it's like this like name recall sometimes. Big lizard. There's actually something called the big lizard. Great iguana. If I were to see an iguana and it fell out of a tree, like when they get cold, they fall out of the trees. I would probably lose my mind. But the statistical likelihood of that ever happening is pretty low. And when I saw them in Costa Rica, I just stayed away from them. Wait, wait, wait! They fall out of trees because they get cold, and then you know they fall out of the trees. Yeah, I would lose my mind if one fell on me. That would be it. I would probably just lose my mind. But otherwise, I'm a really good boy mom. Like, I'm a really. I got in the dirt with my kids. I played with my kids out in the dirt. You know, I I definitely didn't pull the girl car, but with a snake, I absolutely would. That's funny. Yeah, I would not be good with that.
0: We did have an experience growing up because we had a basement where they there was a snake behind the toilet. I didn't actually like a big one. I didn't actually see it, but the story was like, you know, my mom was like, "We found one." This is when I was little. And so then, so now I, I have, ever since then, I have a habit where when I sit at the toilet, I look behind it to see if there's a snake back there.
2: Well, you talk about people in Asia, like they'll have boa constructors that come up through the toilet. I would lose my mind. Like completely lose my mind. Like in the toilet? In the toilet. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, I would be officially cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs.
0: Oh my goodness. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get my favorite electrolytes for free plus special announcement elements, new chocolate medley is here. So when you think electrolytes, you might think summer and hot times and needing to stay hydrated, but did you know that hydration is actually super important in cold weather as well? There's an idea out there that cold weather reduces our hydration needs. That's not true. So in the cold, Two main things can actually increase our metabolic rate. You may be working harder, tramping through the snow, and you can be wearing cumbersome winter clothing that can actually raise your energy needs by 10 to 20%. And as your metabolic rate raises, your sweat rate raises. And you need to replace those fluids with electrolytes. You also lose more water when it's cold through your breath. That's because cold temperatures contain significantly less water than hot temperatures, aka it's drier outside. When you breathe in that cold, dry air, your respiratory system actually acts like a humidifier so that your body can be warm and humid like it likes to be. Of course, that drains your hydration reserves as well. One study actually found that respiratory water loss after a full day of activity nearly doubled at freezing temperatures compared to the 70s. On top of that, when you're cold, you actually become less thirsty, possibly from blood vessel constrictions in the cold, which can trick the body into thinking the blood volume is higher than it is. In other words, it's cold out there. You probably need hydration and electrolytes are so key for all of these cellular processes in your body, all of your energy production. It all requires electrolytes, but it can be hard to find electrolytes, which are clean without unnecessary fillers, and which you can feel good about drinking. That's why I love Element. There's a reason I'm obsessed with it. There's a reason all you guys are as well. And like I said, I'm so excited because Element's new chocolate medley is here featuring chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. And this is a limited time, so you definitely wanna stock up on these now. Plus, you can get a free gift with purchase when you purchase that chocolate medley or other element electrolytes. That's right. You can get a free sample pack, eight single serving packets for free with any element order. It's a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. You can get yours at drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. That's drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. By the way, those chocolates in that chocolate medley make delicious hot chocolates. And of course, as always, Element has a no questions asked refund, so you have nothing to lose. So go to drinklmnt.com slash iapodcast to get your free electrolytes. Okay, here's a really good question from Eileen. What are your thoughts on the information going around originating from TikTok possibly that alcohol stops fat burning for 36 hours?
2: Well, you know, that's a good question, but I don't know how long alcohol impacts lipolysis, how long that is. We know that your body's processes as a toxin. So if you eat a massive bolus of food and drink a bunch of alcohol, you have the potentiality for stopping fat loss. Mm-hmm. I would have to do some reading. I don't know, Melanie, do you have do you have specific research on that? So I didn't
0: research specifically how long alcohol stops fat burning. However, I can say it cannot be true that alcohol stops fat burning, all fat burning for 36 hours because there are people, myself included, who have been having a nightly glass of wine for years and have lost weight during that time. So logic says that's an incorrect statement.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because I'm looking at brown fat activation mitigates alcohol-induced liver steatosis. So, you know, it can't be that long. I mean, intellectually, I can't imagine. Once you process the alcohol,
0: you're not burning the alcohol anymore. There's no way there's a lingering thing that stops you from burning fat because like I said, it would be impossible then to lose weight while drinking every night, which so many people do. So that literally just says that cannot be a true statement.
2: Well, and the other thing is I think it's it's predicated on other things. Are you 25 years old or are you 50? You know, we know that as women are getting older, they don't process alcohol as readily. It impacts the detoxification pathways. So if you are someone who's insulin resistant and you're drinking a lot of alcohol, I mean that could be a problem. I think it has to be taken in context. and I, I mean I just did a really quick Dr. Google search and I didn't see anything that said that specifically. So don't believe everything you see on TikTok. I think that that applies to everything on social media because sometimes my team like will state something and, and we're always very research based. People are like, what, where did that come from? And so we, we'll share journal articles with people. We're like, you know, this is based on this and here's the research. But I have never read that. But I do think it has to be taken in the context. How old are you? Are you insulin resistant? Are you metabolically flexible? Those things can increase the likelihood that alcohol is going to be inflammatory. Definitely.
0: I'm actually really curious. I listened to an interview on Dave Asprey with this probiotic have you heard of this? It's called Zbiotics. Have you heard of it? I have not. I want to reach out to them and learn more. So it's this guy who and apparently has controversy because it's a it's a genetically modified probiotic. So they engineered this probiotic that specifically breaks down acetylaldehyde, which is the byproduct of alcohol metabolism, and it's the reason you don't feel well from alcohol. And so apparently this probiotic, like you take it before drinking and because he talks in the interview about how the large percent of acetyl that's formed is in the gut. And so the bacteria breaks it down. And so it basically mitigates a lot of the negative effects of alcohol, but you still get, what's interesting is he says, you still get all of the benefits, like the cognitive bit, like the, you know, feeling tipsy because people want to feel the feelings. So I'm, I'm really interested by that. Which actually relates to one other question. Becky said, Cynthia, I heard you mention on one of your older podcasts that you don't produce enough acetylaldehyde dehydrogenase. So that is the enzyme that actually breaks down acetylaldehyde into acetic acid. So you are not getting as many of the negative, you need it to break down acetylaldehyde, which is toxic. So she says, I have the same issue as do some of my kids. I was wondering if you also get a red face, i.e. the Asian flush, and it's called that because that happens a lot in Asian populations when you drink. And have you found anything that helps other than not drinking at all?
2: A good question. Did I get a red face? Not always. Not that kind of stereotypical red face. I think that, you know, the things that I've learned and I've actually done a TV segment several years ago talking about how to avoid a hangover around New Year's. And the things that I think are helpful and beneficial are taking things like NAC before and after drinking, as well as glutathione before bed. And we can link that TV segment that I did a few years ago in the show notes. To me, the best way to avoid it is to just abstain. And that's kind of what I embrace now. But I acknowledge that people that want to drink want to be able to do it responsibly and, and not have any untoward effects. So I I think that I would probably suggest if you're choosing a drink, NAC and liposomal glutathione can be helpful, but also, you know, leaning into higher quality options. You know, we both are huge proponents of dry farm wines. I think about the clear liquors like vodka, gin, also thinking about, you know, things like tequila as another option are going to be cleaner than having you know, more traditional wine, having sugary drinks, leaning into bourbon and and heavier alcohols that are very likely full of ingredients that could potentially exacerbate a hangover as well as exacerbate symptoms you may experience from drinking.
0: Yeah, and, and that ties in well to what I was saying before, like that probiotic is specifically one that addresses that. What's interesting about the glutathione because that's a really good example and I recently did a whole episode with Nayan Patel about his supplemental glutathione. And what's interesting about that is this is what he said and sort of my experience as well. Like it can really help with mitigating the effects of alcohol, but then it also can help you metabolize it faster. And so you don't get as much of the tipsy effect that people are looking for. So it's interesting how finding that balance of how can you maximize if people are going in for a certain mental experience, but also not have the, you know, the health issues. And I think that's where something like, you know, Dry From Wines, like Cynthia said, I, I'm obsessed with Dry From Wines. I gifted it to so many people this past Christmas. And for listeners, if they would like to get a bottle for a penny, they can go to dryfromwines.com slash podcast. That's wine that's low sugar, low alcohol, and tested to be free of toxins and heavy metals and mold. But yes, there's definitely a lot that you can do to, you know have your drink and eat it too. So one last one to end on. Teresa wants to know what is your most recent text? Who is it to and what does it say? And we cannot include if this was your most recent one. My most recent one was to you about the show. So before that,
2: mine was actually to my accountant and he was letting me know that he had sent me some some information. I'm I'm actually becoming an S Corp. So for listeners, whether they're aware of what that is, but making some changes in my business heading into 2023. And so my real last official text was from my accountant who was reminding me that he had sent me an email. But otherwise it would have been for Melanie because that was the next one.
0: Congrats, by the way. I think I did it about a year ago. It feels very like official.
2: It feels very official. And, you know, I think we had been teetering on making that decision, but I, I, this is the year I jokingly say like, I've always been very fiscally conservative, but this is the year that, you know, we've got some more aggressive financial planning within the business and the CPA. And I just said, you know, now is the time. So it's going to be an S corp and, you know, ways to, you know, ensure that we are maximizing income and filing taxes properly. You know, I would say like fiscal responsibility is number one, but ensuring that I'm aware, very aware, very transparent of what is going to benefit the business the most. Is it your name? The S Corp? It will be. I think so. Although it's interesting. Some people like you to do DBA, like doing business as.
0: Mm, Yeah. I had a DBA leading up to the S Corp, although I stopped renewing it. So I, I think it
2: probably was not active anymore. Yeah. I had another LLC that I had to pay to deactivate. <laughs> it's one of those things are like, Oh, you can't just pay the renewal. You have to pay the the fee. And, you know, because you didn't renew it on time, you have to pay that too. And I was like, fine. Always something. There's so much to
0: learn. I feel like I learned so much so fast with, and I didn't even really, you know, I, I was
2: working with an accountant as well, but there's just so much. And, and that's why, you know, the way I look at it, they earn their money by maximizing your income and making sure you're paying your taxes properly, but also working within the law to ensure that you are taking every opportunity to be more fiscally appropriate. How's that?
0: Yeah. My last text was actually to a podcast guest. I've had Kirk Parsley on the show a ton and he's, this will be a plug. He's recording right now for, do you listen to, well, probably not. It's not really our cup of tea. Jocko podcast very
2: aware of him Mm -hmm.
0: so he is I think right now recording with him so I said how's hanging out with Jocko
2: did they ever work together
0: yeah they're they're friends I don't know if they work together but
2: they're friends yeah the seal community is pretty small
0: yeah yeah that makes sense it's funny I was talking to him about it beforehand because he's like the sleep doctor and that's his focus and he was we were brainstorming about like what like should he just focus on sleep or like other things, but I'll be really curious to hear how
2: that went. That sounds very exciting.
0: I know. So okie dokie. Well, this has been really fun, and this was part two. We're gonna have to at least have a part three because there's still there's still so many good questions.
2: And don't worry, for anyone that was asking, there were a lot of questions about hormones, bioidentical hormones, menopause, perimenopause, birth control, and perimenopause, etc. We will absolutely devote some time to those questions we'll get to some of those
0: next time and then i actually did i was telling cynthia we got a lot of questions as well about fasting when we did this and they were all really good so i think i'm gonna save them for when we get through the amas maybe we'll do an ama if podcast episode with i'm sorry like a fasting related one but yeah so this has been absolutely wonderful so a few things for listeners before we go If you'd like to submit your own questions for the show, and like I said, we normally answer a lot of fasting related questions, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. The show notes for today's episode that will have links to everything that we talked about will be at slash episode 301. And then you can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I am Melanie Avalon. Cynthia is Cynthia underscore low underscore. I think that is all of the things. Okay. Anything from you, Cynthia, before we go?
2: No, I love this. We'll have to, uh, you know, episodically do these kinds of Q and A's. I think it's, it's exciting to talk about the things that listeners are interested in learning more about.
0: I know I'm like really excited because I have the document in front of me and we got through probably half of it. So we probably got one or two more episodes left. It'll be fun. So okie dokie. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful and I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner, transcripts by SpeechDocs, and original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.